Today's episode of The Pod Has Spoken on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA, and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise $250,000. And if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Welcome to The Pod Is Spoken, The Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McAtee. I'm your host. And every Thursday, I'm here on The Ringer Dish feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. On each pod, I'm accompanied by a different Ringer staffer. Today, thanks to Fiji Airlines, he is here. It is Sean Yu. Because <laughs> I, I still cannot believe they plugged Fiji Airlines like that. We love you, Fiji Airlines, I guess. Uh, he's not actually here through Fiji Airlines. He's actually coming through the safety of a broadband connection since we are practicing social distancing here. But we're here to discuss Survivor nonetheless. Today, we're breaking down episode 10 of Winners at War. It was, let's say, a chaotic episode. It was also an emotional episode. It was the loved ones episode, which is always an important one in a, any Survivor season. So we'll get started. We'll begin with the segment we call Tribal Council. That's our instant reactions to the episode. All right. So I guess let's start with the loved ones visit since this took up the first, I don't know, half an hour of this episode. Um, Sean, what do we think of the loved ones visit? I mean, I, I usually love the loved ones visits and I guess, you know, everyone's on an extra emotional tilt given our current circumstances. But I don't know. Uh, half of me is like, wow, really cool that they brought on all the families and, and, a, and a, what a first big first moments for survivor with bringing the whole families on and allowing the people on extinction Island to see their families. Like that's really, really cool. And you know, you got some really great moments like, um, Tony crying, like Tony, just like weeping, saying, this is a fantasy. I fantasize about this, you know, seeing the whole Jeremy Collins family, their whole tribe. And, uh, it, it was, it was great until I like at the end of, at the end of that section, I looked at my DVR and it was a little less than halfway through the episode. And I was like, so what, so like, how are they going to stuff a challenge? And, camp talk and a full tribal into this. So like after the family visit, I was like, Oh my God, I was that even worth it? Like, was that necessary? Yeah. I think it was really neat to see the children out there and like the full families, you know, it, usually it's only one person, right? So someone brings their, their parent or their significant other, or, you know, a brother or sister, or sometimes a friend or, or, you know, to tell you that your grandma's dead or something. But, uh, it, you know, typically it's not, the children and i thought like seeing some of the the families of people who 
came onto this show, maybe the first time they were on this show, they didn't have a family. Maybe they didn't even have a significant other. And suddenly now they have kids and they have this whole life. And so we got to see kind of like the arc of these people's lives in the context of Survivor was really cool. Some of those kids were just cute as hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dyson's kid in particular telling him he stinks and then making him like sand soup was really a highlight for me. But yeah, I mean, it took a really long time when they cut from the, the family visit that was happening on the Merge tribe island to Edge of Extinction. You realized, oh man, they're going to give the Edge of Extinction people a family visit too. It was like, oh, that's really cool that they're getting that. But also, oh my God, this is taking forever. Yeah, like I think once it got to extinction, I was like exhausted because it was just a, it was like an extra amount of PDA on extinction. Cause I guess maybe there were more families on the, on the actual island, but like it was just Parv and her husband, you know, who used to play Survivor, just like making out for like multiple scenes. And like, you know, that's great. You miss your family and all. Like Ethan and his wife were just like, you know, make it out the whole time. And then you just like see Yule and you'll just like never let go of his daughter for what seemed like 35 minutes. And I was like, you know what? Like I I would love like quick shots of that and maybe like one or two people talking, but like they gave everyone their moment, which I guess, I guess it's part of like being on extinction and having these people who invested so much of their lives to survivor and, and giving back to them. But yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I, w- I was kind of exhausted. I kind of like that, you know, as far as like how they structure the loved ones visit, I kind of like all of the loved ones just rolling up in a boat and everybody getting this chance to to freak out and having basically having no structure versus what's always funny to me. I'm always I'm always a little lukewarm in the loved ones visit. I'm always a little bit like, okay, this is not really my favorite thing in Survivor. I understand why it's emotional for people and I can get emotional at it too and I enjoy it, but it's not the biggest draw for me. But what's always really funny is Jeff's questions to people where he's like, you know, what does it mean to have so-and-so out here? And he's just trying so hard to (laughs) tug at the heartstrings. And it's like, you know, come on, man, like stop trying to like tear trick me a little bit. And then it was especially comical on this one where he's trying to be so emotional, trying to get all the tears going. And he's like, by the way, Fiji Airlines made this happen. We love you, Fiji Airlines. And he's just plugging them over and over. And it was just jarring and so funny to me. I was like almost laughing in a moment that should be really emotional. Yeah. Every time, like you're right about Jeff, like this is his performance. This is his time to shine. This and tribal is when like, you know, he really gets to like talk and, and kind of like ask these questions that I'm sure he wants to ask on a personal level. And he thinks it's good for the show, but you're right. Once the Fiji Airlines plug happened, I, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like, of course, like, of course this was like uh, some sort of stunt advertising thing. Like it was obviously great, but like, and then you hear Sophie be like, I love Fiji Airways. I love that from Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, on her, on South Pacific, there's this like iconic moment where they have a reward where they go watch Jack and Jill, which is a... <laughs> Just awful, horrendously awful Adam Sandler movie. Um, I I used to work in a movie theater way, way, way back in the day when that movie was out. And so I've just seen like clips, like scenes of it from working in the theater. And it is like horrendously bad. And it's like coach and like 
<laughs> Albert and some of her other tribe mates are like literally like slapping their knees, like busting up at this uh this Adam Sandler movie. And Sophie was just petrified the whole time. Like they barely could get her in the shots because it's so clear <laughs> that she fucking hated the movie. And uh it, she's clearly matured so much to now be able to, you know, do the plug and be the team player on Survivor. I thought it was hilarious that she was like leading the Fiji Airways stuff. It, it's just incredible. I'm sure we'll get one more plug on a reward, whether it's Applebee's or Outback, you know. I always just love I always reminisce about those when like it was Outback one year and Sandra's like Outback's me and my husband's favorite restaurant. We go at least twice a week. And I was like, I, I always am rooting for Outback because I actually like Outback and Outback. It's like, oh, this is a tough one. And Jeff's like the sizzling, juicy Outback steaks. And I'm like, Fiji Airways. He just really was just like, hey, thanks, thanks to Fiji Airways for sending everyone. I, we didn't get that clad, that vintage probe cell. So after, uh, this this loved one vi- loved one's visit it kind of goes immediately into this immunity challenge. Um, it's one that we've seen before. And it's one that Tony he finally gets a win in. I was actually almost more emotional watching Tony finally win an immunity challenge because he's like a legend that I love, and it's kind of like the one thing he hasn't accomplished. He's like never really won an individual challenge. Uh, yeah, when Jeff when Jeff said that like Tony has a chance to win his first. I was like, oh my God. I was like, Jeff is right. Like, I can't believe Tony hasn't won an immunity like that before. And it's so funny. I wrote, I wrote this line down when he was like, wow, I won a game of patience. He was like, of all, of all the things to win, I won a game of patience. And I was like, wow, that's just so perfectly Tony in that moment. I would have thought when I saw what the challenge was, if I had to like rank who I thought was going to win, Tony would have been dead last. I would have assumed, Agreed. okay, you know, you got you to hold this rope. You got to be very delicate with it. I'd have been like, there's no way. This is not Tony's challenge. He was also the first one in the challenge when it started. He was like the first one to realize he's like, oh, this is really long. Like he was like holding the rope and you hear him like mumble like, wow, this is much longer than he expected. And I almost think they like moved it back, moved back like where they're like grabbing the pieces because – you know, like hearing Tony say that, I was like, wow, like, I guess they made it slightly more difficult. And, and I mean, clearly people were struggling. You can see like how much slack there was in their ropes that just just like the weight of the rope itself will do some of the work in, in balancing that. And so you have to almost like balance how much slack you're going to give it because that affects like the weight the rope is pulling on that platform. That challenge looks like a really hard one. And I was... I kind of thought it would be one of those ones where it's like, all right, whoever's in the early lead, it won't matter because everyone's going to drop like three times before they get the hang of it. And then it wasn't. I mean, unless there was some edit trickery going on, it looks like Tony just did that all in one run. Yeah. I mean, Ben Ben came close, but he dropped at the end and I was, it was just his game to lose and he won it. It's incredible. I can't believe he did it. And I mean, I'm sure it'll lead into next seven, but like him having that bulletproof vest brings out the Tony that we all know and love. Yes, yes, because on Kagayan, he had so much of his gameplay. Uh, he had that god idol that he could play after the votes were read, the super idol on Kagayan. And obviously, Tony is like paranoid, crazy Tony, no matter what, but he did have a layer of safety on his winning season that he's played completely without this season. And so you kind of wonder, it's like, oh, once he's got the immunity necklace on, maybe he'll find since so many advantages were played at tribal council, like maybe he'll be the one to find a rehidden idol that could be coming up soon or get one from edge of extinction or whatever. And it's kind of like, we don't typically see Tony play without something in his back pocket, which is how it's been this season. Yeah. And I do wonder if like, 
okay, you know, if he wins in immunity, now do we get closer to like the old Tony? Yeah, I mean, hopefully. I, I, I just, I've loved Tony this season. I love the way he's played. I know we've talked about it before. It's almost like he's letting his charisma um, take the lead rather than his, you know, paranoia. But I, I hope for the sake of the the last few episodes that we get, we get the vintage Tony back. Let's talk about the main event in this episode, which for me was tribal council. For sure. It's another one of these live tribals, these chaotic tribals. And I guess just like on the surface, kind of what were your thoughts going through this, like one of the more hectic tribals we've seen, even in an era where every tribal council feels pretty hectic. So I wrote down but right before tribal kind of where I thought the powers were leading and, and we could, we're, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but the editing kind of, the editing just made sure we knew about, we were reminded about Jeremy and Sarah's advantage and Kim's idol. And I think that's all they wanted to accomplish with the editing. But what I saw was that there were two sides, obviously. Um, Tony wants to blindside Jeremy with his group of Nick, Ben, Sarah, Sophie. I don't know if that plan stayed towards the end of Tribal, but that was how it looked heading in. And then the other side was Kim, Tony, Tyson were trying to get Denise and Michelle to vote out Sophie. So like that was like the, the, the main sides that happened. But then like once Tribal started, it just it just immediately broke into live tribal. I think like the first question probes asked was to Jeremy and Jeremy responded, you know, this is chaotic. This isn't a ruse. And Jeff was immediately like, yeah, and, and you're right. Like immediately people are whispering and it just went to live tribal. And Jeff was like, I think he asked like, what triggers that? And someone, like someone responded survivor insanity. And that's kind of what's happened in the last two tribals where like, you have, I guess, these boats of people who are working together, but there's like each each boat wants like two or three people to vote off. And then those two or three people hear that and then they decide they want to protect themselves. And it just turns into uh, like just everyone trying to figure out a plan at live travel because of so much uncertainty heading in. And I don't know, it just makes things confusing. I'm sure from a television standpoint, it's it's, it's entertaining, but you know, it it is, it is very chaotic. And I thought the cool moments that we got were Jeremy and Sarah's stalemate on playing their advantage and their like hesitation to who goes first and who doesn't. I thought that was really cool. And I I really, I don't know if I've seen that ever in, in a tribal like that, where like two people know they want to play their advantage, but they're waiting on what the other person does to make sure it doesn't jeopardize their move. And then the balls of Sophie just to be like, hey, us five, why don't we make the decision? And that like kind of changing the narrative and almost shutting down tribal being like, all right, we have we can control the vote now that Jeremy left. And, you know, that's essentially how tribal played out, regardless of who Kim gave her idol to. I think that Sarah, I I think that she was going to steal Jeremy's vote. And I was really interested in what would happen if she used the vote steal on Jeremy and then Jeremy leaves tribal. If that effectively means that she doesn't get the vote steal anymore because he no longer has a vote at tribal. So not not only was that stalemate cool just because it was 
kind of funny and it was sort of this Mexican standoffish type of showdown. But it also the order of the events there really, really, really mattered. And shouts to Sarah to just kind of stand down there. And I think that she knew, you know what, if I don't use my vote steal here uh, and we just vote, she'd be okay. Like, I think she she was not kidding around and she was like, yeah, I'm good here. I'm not going to use it before she ultimately did end up using it after another round of scrambling. Um, whereas Jeremy, he had to use his, his back was against the wall. They show him observing tribal. Um, he knows that his name was out there. Clearly he had the right read too, because everybody had to adjust the whole plan after he was definitely going to get the votes that tribal. Um, but granted, it's also a risky move for him because he kind of leaves his gang, his alliance as a, as Wendell points out, you know, his squad it's kind of the cowardly move. I mean, maybe it was the right one for him. I don't know. He pre- maybe he goes home. Maybe Kim plays the idol for him. And it's actually, you know, then you have safety with power. But it, with that much uncertainty, I don't know. I don't know if it was the wrong move for him. But it's definitely one that's going to have a ton of ripple effects down the line. Totally, totally. And even with Kim, like, I'm, I'm always of the mindset of, like, if you have an idol, never played for someone else, regardless of the strategy. And, like, you know, she got two votes nulled but like I, I just i just never i never feel good about that like i was kind of screaming at my tv when she like took her bag i was like just play it on yourself i was like just play it on yourself it's the safe thing to do just play it on yourself and same like her and denise both are are, are are still in the game but like you know tyson took the bullet tyson took the stray and kim just lost another number so you know who knows if that was the right move but i i also i mean to the actual vote, I, I, you wrote down it was five two two, which like clearly they were trying to do a split. I, I just love just the, just a little throw in, but like Tyson at the end, like giving the middle finger to everyone was just like a classic Tyson moment. <laughs> Didn't have any tokens to give. I have a bunch of questions about this tribal. So first off, the person who actually starts the scrambling is Kim, at least based on what we see in the edit, and it's Kim whispering to Michelle, who ostensibly are on the same side in this tribal. Uh, at least going in. The idea is, you know, it's Kim, Tyson, Jeremy, Denise, and then they were like, we can bring in Michelle. So it's confusing to me from the jump why Kim feels the need to whisper to Michelle in the first place. It looked like Tribal had just started or it wasn't that far along. Nothing had really changed. There was not really a reason to scramble. It's like, did you not talk with Michelle on the beach before going to Tribal? I know you must have. You must have. So what was being whispered there and like, what's the advantage of going to a live tribal? I don't understand that. Then ultimately what we have, what happens and I had to take a ton of time to piece this together and you can see who actually votes for who on YouTube. Uh, Survivor actually uploads the votes on YouTube because we don't get them in the show when there's edge of extinction in play. But what happened was, so after Jeremy leaves, there's nine votes and there's kind of five on one side and four on the other. Sarah uses the steal of votes. Now it's six on one side, three on the other. And what I was thinking would happen at that point is that the group of six splits the votes between two players. Let's say it's Tyson and Denise. So they put three on Tyson, three on Denise. The group of three might put three votes on Sophie. It's a three, three, three tie. You're protected from an idol. That's why you split the votes. So even if, uh, you know, if Kim plays her idol on Denise, let's say it happens this way. Um, you have a revote where you can then just easily vote out Tyson, right? Because it would be a 3-3 tie. And even in that case, by the way, Kim then should Kim should realize that the votes are 6-3 and that 
they're going to split the votes. It's going to go to a revote. If she's going to play her idol, it should be either on herself to protect herself, or she should trust her read of the game. And if she knows she's not in danger, she should save the idol. She can't really nullify the votes and force the votes back onto the majority alliance because they have a super majority now. So I was confused by her idol play. But then the votes don't even play out that way because... What happens is first, Michelle flipped and she ends up voting Tyson. And so you can see when she's voting, she kind of throws up this like whatever face. Like she doesn't really know what's going on. It's clear she wasn't really in the loop. She might have gone completely rogue with that vote or just heard a whisper, but wanted to retain her status with like the majority and not write someone's name down who she might need to work with later. You know, you just kind of want to be on the right side of the vote because it opens options for you. But they also didn't even split the vote the right way because they didn't put three votes. That would be a 4-3-2 vote if Michelle moves. But they didn't put three votes on Denise. They put two votes on Denise. So it turns into this 5-2-2 vote where they don't really split the votes correctly. They're not really immune from an idol. They only are... The the large majority only is in the sense that Michelle flipped. If they didn't know Michelle was going to flip, then putting an extra vote on Tyson and one fewer on Denise just opens them up to if Kim plays the idol correctly, then they could get voted out. So basically just none of it made sense to me. This is a very long-winded way of saying, wow, what a weird tribal. I'm with you because like the two votes on Denise, when they were popping up, I was like, what? I was like, why is that even happening? I was like, I thought it was a clear two-side, two-side vote. And I was like, who was throwing the votes at Denise? And Michelle flipping, it was funny. Like you mentioned, like Kim immediately going to Michelle the whisper, and you hear Michelle's subtitles, and she's like, What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever. You know, essentially like being like, I'm with you guys, I'll, I'll vote wherever you guys want to go. And I wonder once Jeremy left, like, like I, I that 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 is such a powerful advantage, right? Because it creates such a ripple effect, especially the way Jeremy read the room, and he read it perfectly where all, all the guns were pointed at him and he left and everyone had a scramble. And I guess in the midst of that scramble, that's when some votes got lost and some, some confusion happened. And I think that's a product of live tribal that <clears throat> might be entertaining on, on paper, but like, we don't know what's happening. Like you can't, you can't get all those audio bites and you can't really hear what direction they're going so that by the time the votes come out, you're like, what, who voted for this? Who voted? And then you have to, and then you have to personally go to YouTube and find the votes, which I do every week. But like, it just adds another layer of, I wish I knew more. I wish, I wish the show was a little more transparent this season. I wish I was able to see all these moves and conversations and be able to see like why people are flipping or why they're jumping ship and why they're bouncing back and forth. Because that adds to, in my mind, like their resume, it adds to the resume at the end. And I, I can paint a better picture of how this person played throughout the whole season, but doing live travels and stuff, like it's only going to be word of mouth of like, well, remember that one thing I said to you at the live travel and shifting the vote this way, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, we didn't know that. And now you're telling us and like the last, you know, you're the last day of the show. Like, I just, I just worry that if, if this is the trend that's going to happen, with live tribals that we as a viewer are just going to be missing out on a lot of information. Yeah. I mean, the way that I've kind of just pieced this together, because there is so much missing information due to this live tribal where we can't see or, or we can't hear anything, um, is that I, I think that somebody might have misvoted basically from the group of six or the group of the group of five that had six votes. 
um, perhaps it was. So the other vote, the votes on Denise were, it was Sarah put one of her votes on Denise and the other one was Sophie, I believe, voted Denise. And I wonder if Sarah was supposed to put both of her votes on Denise. She put one on Tyson and one on Denise. And I wonder if it was supposed to be both because it seems like 3-3 was the obvious play. So my theory is somebody misvoted plus Michelle just went rogue and voted Tyson because she must have heard something back at the beach that she knew that some people were voting Tyson and she just didn't want to vote against where the power is in the game that she can see now. But I was wondering in the moment, I had to kind of piece that together from Michelle's reaction in the voting booth, which was not, uh, you know, something that was aired on the actual episode, right? That's something you have to go to YouTube to find. Because what I was wondering in the moment was, is Michelle basically a mole uh, who stuck with the other the other side on this because we know basically the only thing we really know about Michelle's game right now is that she's tight with Nick and Nick is in that majority group. So I'm like, maybe they just left Michelle over with the the minority group or whatever. And was like, Oh yeah, she's playing with them, but it wasn't actually the case. Interesting. It's just, interesting. It's so much effort to try and piece all this stuff together. <laughs> right. that it's like, I don't want to do all this heavy lifting and I'm probably wrong about some element of this. There's probably something else going on. We just don't have enough info to connect all the dots. Right. And it is, yeah, the, the the added mystery and uncertainty of the of the show in terms of tribal, uh, it just it's just tough, especially when the season already there's just so much going on, and like you said, there's so much to keep track of, and and like you really piece together the votes and you really broke it down, but like is the average viewer going to do that? And and who knows? Maybe the average viewer doesn't care. But um, on the last thing on the Michelle thing, I think her whole game and it's it's how she won her season is just like always being the swing vote, like always being not that close with one side, not that close with the other side, but being so willing and friendly to both sides that they trust her enough to be like, we'll use you as a number or come on this side for this vote. And that eventually leads her to the end where she's like, she can sell it on. I was a part of every vote, even though she really wasn't, you know, like, but I, I, yeah, again, it could just be, it also could just be her being like, if everyone's going Tyson, I think I might as well just do that because it's safe for me, you know? Yeah. One way to win is to just be likable. And one way to be likable is to just vote with the people who have the power, you know, totally. in, in any given vote, if it's not you. Um, what do we think about live tribals in general? Because they're kind of a recent invention over the last few seasons or few years. They're becoming more common. I've had some people tweet at me that maybe they should institute a rule where it's like you have to be seated at tribal at all times um i think that survivor producers like the live tribals because it's like chaotic and tense and seems to make for good television um i don't know i'm curious i'm curious to hear what you think so when like live tribals were first happening and it was, it was maybe a few seasons ago, like I, I really enjoyed it just it was new. It was something that we've never seen and it was, it's always fresh and exciting to see that. And it added a level of excitement, especially in those early seasons where it was like crucial votes and, you know, people really needed to figure out what the plan was. And th- this season, it almost feels like everyone has like, four or five plans that they have in place on their way to tribal. And because it is a season of so many vets and people who are like pros at the game, like 
I think that are now just relying on live tribal. They're like become accustomed to it. And they've just said, this is how it's going to be. I, we love a live tribal. Let's just do it. Let's just figure it out at tribal. So it's almost to me like a cop out sometimes for certain people playing like, like in my mind, you should have your vote ready. And if someone convinces you, maybe you change your vote. But now it's like, Everyone comes in with uncertainty and everyone's has everyone has no clue what their vote is right up until Jeff says, oh, all right, are you guys ready to vote? You know, and I, like I, I need to hear it like the other season. Sometimes you were able to get full subtitles and they were able to read lips or even like boost up the mic sometimes. I just don't like being left out as a viewer on certain decisions. I think like. I think what Sophie did was kind of, it should not have been allowed that level of us five right here. We can make the vote. Let's just make the vote. Like that is a full use of power and time and like time and place kind of power, like in that setting that I think it's a huge advantage, especially of the numbers. Like you really control the vote, every vote. Cause it doesn't matter what your group is thinking on the way in, they can just make the decision on the fly because someone could just be like, Hey, my team, let's huddle up. And I think you're right. Maybe, maybe it's better if everyone is seated and you can only whisper to the person to the left of you to behind you. You can't really go to someone further down. It would have to be like uh, like a telephone type of game to get the message across. If that's how you want to play or survivor needs to do a better job with mics and making sure we not hear all the conversation, but I need to hear certain excerpts and, and little pieces that help, you know, paint the picture. Yeah. It's just like painting the picture during the scramble that happens on the beach before tribal. Now you just have to do it at tribal. I'm I'm more inclined to the latter. I wouldn't make a rule that's like, oh, no live tribals, or you have to stay seated or something like that, the way that people do it. I actually kind of like the live tribals, but I like them you know, it's there's ways to make them work and ways to make them not work. They work when you understand where the battle lines are as a viewer, you understand. And when you can get enough snippets of information that maybe you understand that there are a few options here for who's going home or what's happening. They don't work when they happen every tribal council and the battle lines aren't very clear and they probably do have to do, like you're saying, a better job of miking up the players so that we can get the snippets and kind of just know at least some of the options or some of the reasons why players are working with certain players and not working with others. This one felt like there was just a little bit too much confusion. And then as far as what you bring up, which is Sophie, who just says, hey, us five, let's go over here, which really draws a line in the sand, is going to make four people feel very excluded. I guess three people now because one of them goes home. Uh, Although Jeremy as well. So I guess it's still four people. But you know, she does that thing. It's like, hey, if you're in the four, if you're in the smaller group, just don't let that happen. Just walk over there. They can't leave the set. Like you have an idol on your side. If you know where the votes are going, that's highly advantageous for you. So just walk the hell over there. This is the thing that Nick is supposed to be good at. I know he's with the majority. Maybe if he had been with the uh, the the alliance that's down in the numbers, he could have done it because they'd shown us that he apparently is great at butting in on conversations <laughs> sneakily this season. But yeah, it's like, just walk over there. Just don't let them do that. Don't let them be a group. Like They have to whisper in each other's ear, make it difficult for them. I don't know. I thought like Kim, Tyson, 
uh, Michelle, Denise, one of them should have just been like, Hey guys, I'm, you know, you guys figure it out. Just whisper in my ear the name, but I'm going to go over there and listen to their conversation. I'm not letting them just like, you know, congregate and sequester themselves and strategize. That's not happening right now. I hundred percent agree with that strategy. Like I, I couldn't believe they were sitting there and just waiting for that group to figure it out. Feeling so helpless when you're right, Kim had an idol, she should have went up and just been and just butted in. And like, what are they going to do? Box you out? Like they can't, you can't whisper that loud. If someone's like around the vicinity, like they're going to hear it. And man, I, yeah, I, I just, I just did not, I just did not like that, that group doing that. It was just, it just seemed like an unfair advantage when it didn't need to be. And who knows, like, who knows what they'll do for the rest of the season. And if they continue to do live tribals at this pace and at this clip, but yeah, I just, I think there are ways like you're right. I think there are ways to prevent live tribal. If you're, if you're on the bottom of the numbers, like if you're on the bottom of the numbers and a live tribal is happening, you should feel the power to break it all up and to blow everything up and really like butt in on every whisper. And like Nick just, like kind of like sneaking up behind people. Like you have every power to do that. What is stopping you from doing that? If these other people are talking like that. Yeah. It's a small set. And I think, you know, we've kind of, we've talked about it a little bit already, but the editing this episode also did not serve to set up the live tribal in a good way because we saw a lot of kind of shifting alliances. You know, previously Tony talks about how he's a lion. He wants to align himself with lions and he wants to get out hyenas. But suddenly in this episode, he's now aligned with mostly hyenas going against Jeremy and Kim and these other lions that he's talking about. And so it's like, well, where did that come from? It seemed to happen suddenly. When we had then the uh, the alliance that ultimately kind of loses out in this episode of Jeremy, Tyson, and Kim, those three are kind of talking. They know that they can pull in Denise. And at one point, Tyson is like, okay, and we'll get Michelle too. And I'm like, what the hell? How are you going to get Michelle? Like, Do you have a working relationship with Michelle? Where's this coming from? And if it's Michelle, how is it not Nick when Michelle and Nick have previously been shown to be close, even though we already knew on this episode that Nick is in on the plan to blindside Jeremy. So it's like, isn't Michelle in on that plan? Or is that relationship not as close as we were previously shown? It's just stuff like this. It's like, you need to understand why people are working with each other. And that includes not just strategy, but personality stuff, social game stuff. You know, some people just click and they want to work together just because they like each other. And if you don't get those moments, and a lot of that comes via like reward challenges. Some of it can come just via camp life that we just don't get anymore. You don't understand like, why people are working together. Like, are Michelle and Nick friends? Do they want to work together? Or are they not really friends and their alliance was only strategic and now it's fraying because they don't have like a social bond that's holding them together? I don't know because the edit hasn't shown us. And so then when you go into a live tribal where everybody's scrambling, you don't really know who the people are that are actually close to each other, that have the strong bonds that will keep them together through something that's chaotic like this. And it just becomes kind of a mess. That's how it felt watching it, you know? It's been like a consistent thing on this season for me where it's like each episode can feel pretty good in a vacuum, but stuff is shifting without enough explanation where the overall narrative arc of the season is kind of muddy and hard to figure out and doesn't feel as satisfying as it could be because a lot of these travels are awesome. I thought this could have been a really awesome, great travel. Maybe if it were a two-hour episode, we would have gotten it and they just had too much to do. You know, we always talk about longer episodes, longer episodes, but... um, 
this was this was one where I felt it more even than any other episode. I'm like, if this is a two-hour episode and they show us how these alliances shifted, then we're really going to get something special at Tribal. And instead, it just didn't quite land. Yeah, I think this whole this whole dis- discussion goes back to our our, dis- our our comment on it should just be longer, like ninety minutes. If it's ninety minutes, you get fine. You get the full twenty eight of the the family meeting. Then you come back and you do the challenge, and after the challenge, you know, challenge takes fifteen minutes. Give us five or ten minutes. Give us like a full twenty before we go to tribal. Like I need to know every dynamic. I need to know why Tony is acting the way he is with this shield. I need to know. Why you know Sophie and Mich- and Sarah are where are they leaning, and why Tyson and Jeremy feel so isolated? And like, I just need a little more backstory. And I wonder if with the editors is because, like, there is no downtime on the game. Like, everyone is such a pro and such a gamer that every single conversation is game related, and they're just cutting down redundant conversations that just might've been going on all throughout tribal. We just don't know, but I wonder if they're having an issue of an abundance of good stuff because of how good everyone is at confessionals, how good everyone is talking to people and switch and just jumping the gun on sides. Like maybe that's the issue, but who knows? We should say that too. When we kind of, when we rip the edit a little bit, the task of turning this show into some kind of coherent narrative must be just monumentally difficult yeah uh especially on an all winners season where everything is so fluid i think that there's just a lot of chaos in general that makes it really really hard to edit together but that said when you have like 30 minutes of family time and you know less than like 20 minutes of strategy time and a tribal council and an immunity challenge and everything it is that is an impossible task and it's impossible to ask us viewers to follow it, but it's also probably impossible for the editors to form anything that makes any kind of sense. Um, let's let's look forward a little bit here before we move on to our next segments and just look at like kind of where the game is going because we are getting down into the nitty gritty. Um, I'm interested in so Ben said after the immunity challenge that whoever wins that vote will control the game, which would indicate that kind of Kim and Denise and Jeremy are in trouble do we think that that's the case or is that not maybe you know i i think i think those three have always been on the outs um but i i think like i don't necessarily agree with ben that whoever won that vote controls the game they might have the numbers but we've seen week to week that like people flip and people's mind change immediately at the at the snap of finger and that five or whatever, that Sarah, Tony, Sophie, Nick, um, uh, uh, Ben, and and Michelle, I guess if you consider Michelle in that, like they're a really volatile group. And none of them, I think, are, are willing to stay. And, and I, I assume something's going to happen next week where one of those group, maybe it's Michelle, maybe it's Nick, are going to jump and flip to the other side, realizing that like they're on a group the people in their group are threats or they can't trust them. So we'll see. I mean, we really will see how it plays out, but the whole flipping thing is going to, is going to change everything. Cause there is really no one tribe or one alliance that is running the game. I think, I think Sarah's in a really good position because she has Sophie as a close, uh, you know, close ally and she has her cops or us alliance with Tony. So she's, she's already got her really close three and, even though she's a threat, she kind of has two meat shields 
with those people and she can kind of just push them ahead. And even though she lost her advantage, I think she's in a really good spot depending on like, like I said, depending on how that group plays out. We just see everything gets so mixed up every episode. I mean, Nick was kind of on the outs. He seemed like he was the next one to go for the last two episodes. And this episode, his name doesn't even get thrown out. He finds himself basically in the majority alliance and something similar could happen. You know, this game is always kind of self-balancing, right? If Kim and Denise and Jeremy are suddenly on the bottom, what they become is numbers for people who might think that they're on the bottom of the majority. Or, uh, yeah, like of the majority alliance, if they're on the bottom, um, suddenly you can work with one of them. So it's like you're never really on the bottom in Modern Survivor for a long stretch of time because if you're on the bottom, you can find the other people on the bottom and then suddenly you're on the top. Um, the other thing that interests me going forward is, you know, we sort of had a a big influx of advantages used here. We had two advantages and an idol use. Now the only things out there are Sophie's idol and Michelle's 50-50 idol coin. Um, but I think we'll get more soon. I was reading a an interview that Jeff Probst did with Dalton Ross at Entertainment Weekly. Dalton Ross is kind of the the premier like survivor journalist, I guess. And Jeff said, quote, next week, yet another layer is added to the world of survivor capitalism. So I think that fire tokens are about to become a real thing. Uh, just to, to kind of recap, Denise, Nick, and Tony each have three fire tokens right now. Parvati on the edge has three fire tokens. Everybody else has either two or fewer fire tokens. So that's kind of where the power stands with fire tokens. I don't know. Where are you on fire tokens? I kind of like fire tokens so far. I'm interested to see what happens with them. So I'm intrigued. I've enjoyed the way it's worked in terms of the barter system and and the advantages that have been given. I, I worry about if this next thing is like a, a lot of power in the hands of just selling some tokens. I wonder if that'll really just change the whole pace and flow of the game with, you know, you do get like some sort of super immunity idol or, you know, some sort of massive advantage that really changes the tides of the game. And you become either a, a target or the person everyone wants to work for. But, you know, the, I thought it was strange when Jeff was like the winner of this chat, this immunity challenge gets two tokens and, it's clear it's setting up for something big and it's it's good to know that he said that to Dolan Ross and I'm just curious like what how, what the level is like I wonder like other than food other than like peanut butter like what is something someone on extinction can really get that could potentially help them in the future or vice versa like but the idols have been I mean all the advantages have been pretty not flawed, but it's like you don't get full power, right? Jeremy's is safety without power. As much as as cool it is to leave tribal and give yourself some freedom, now you're jeopardizing yourself in your alliance or losing a vote. And Michelle's 50-50 coin, like, I don't know. I was talking with my my nine-year-old little cousin, and she was like, she was like, Was that worth four fire tokens? She's like, it's a 50 well, we just chance. don't know. Yeah, we like, don't know yeah, what they're we, worth, we really. We don't really know, yeah. And is is it worth it? And are these fire tokens going to have actual weight towards the end of the game? Who's to say? I hope that it's... If they do... Or if they are able to buy things that we haven't seen yet, I hope that it's more in the mold of like, oh, you know, you can buy like an extra vote or an advantage and a challenge and not you can buy an idol that can be played after the votes or something wild like that that completely upends the game. It's like give give something that gives people a moderate advantage 
um, not something that allows somebody to basically control the game or close to the end or something wild like that. But I think we'll finally get our questions answered very soon. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, 2 times, and if you're completely insane, 3 times. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature. It's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you, but the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Back to yours. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jamel Hill. And I'm Van Layton. We're proud to introduce our new podcast, The Wire, Way Down in the Hole. First episodes hit you on April 15th. Now, every podcast episode will include recaps, signature moments, foreshadowing, key character deep dives, little-known facts, and also awards, such as We Love This Show, but the Stringer Bell Fuckboy Award, my personal favorite, who won the episode, and more. So join us in West Baltimore on April 15th. Let's move on to our archetype breakdown. Today, I want to do what I call the rope-a-dope. I want to talk about Tony's game, and I want to look back at a confessional that he had from the very first episode about how he was going to play. Oh, my God. It took everything out of me not to just say, and just take off running and look for an idol. I know you want to dip out. No, 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 no. It's all right. You want to chill? Yeah, it's all right. All right, all right. All right. I seen what happened to me on Game Changers. My first 30 seconds, I ran around the whole island three times. Hey, you guys do nice, nice. I'm out. I'm looking for the idol. <laughs> I know I gotta stay here because I'm, I'm on, I'm on probation. <laughs> I'm right here. I got a bracelet on. <laughs> House arrest. House arrest. <laughs> but right now, I don't want to put a target on my back by showing them that I'm back to the old Tony Vlacos's antics. So I want everybody to get nice and comfortable with me because their guards are here right now. And they're slowly coming down as they see Tony's around the camp all day, all night. It's coming down like this. And when it gets down to here, bang, that's where the sucker punch comes in. So that's from the premiere episode where Tony says, you know, he kind of wants to play this like laid back game and lower his threat level and, and, watch as everybody puts their guard down and he's going to come in with the big sucker punch move. And this episode that we just saw kind of had all of these parallels to it. You know, Tony wins this challenge where he's like, I just won the, this patient game, right? Uh, that the challenge parallels with his, the game he's actually playing on the Island, the strategic game. And he says he's playing slow and steady, even though he normally plays fast and sloppy. So basically I'm just really interested in talking about Tony and 
his totally like matured survivor strategy. We have not gotten Kagai on Tony yet. Um, we're getting a different Tony and it's just working so well. I love him so much. I think he's playing a great game. I mean, I think we talked when last time I was on this pod, we, I talked about how much I've loved Tony's game and whatever this new version of Tony, this enlightened version of Tony is, but he, I think something that's so important with Tony and we kind of saw it in his family visit is he really is like, he seems like a warm hearted guy at the end of the day. Like who's to say what his actual life is like, I don't really judge that way, but everything I've seen, like for such a big guy with like a big tribal tattoo, like he's got this like high toned, high pitch voice. Like it's a much brighter tone voice. And I think it warms him up and opens him up in, in this new gameplay for people to just trust him more and to just be like, Oh, that's just Tony. And he, Tony's just playing with charisma and he's not a threat this season. And I think that's a really smart strategy, especially if through your, I'm not a big threat kind of, I'm playing patient. Like you're, you're not jeopardizing yourself, right? You're not at the bottom of any vote and you're always in the majority for the most part, which Tony has throughout this season. And now that he's tasted a little power with getting immunity, I figure paranoia and Kagai on Tony might start to set in when he's lost that. He had, he had one full day of it and he, he felt like his old self on the Island. And now that that's gone, we saw in the preview for the next episode, there's just a clip of him sprinting and like running into a tree. And so like, I wonder if he's going to feel that paranoia again and revert back to his old ways and just go on a mad idol hunt, knowing that like for him, he's now the big threat, right? Tyson's gone. Who's next? The, 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 the target, the bullseye is on Tony for the most part. And now is his time. Now is where the rope of dope is turned on him, right? Now it's where he could potentially get sucker punched if he doesn't make the first move or make the first step. And knowing Tony, I think he's smart enough and reads people well enough to know that this is the, this is the point of the season where he has to make a move or make a stronger alliance. The reason for me that Tony has been able to play as hard as he's played previously uh, is that he's just so dang likable that people just want to hang around with him. I think it's remarkable that he's had zero votes against him this season, which is ridiculous. He should have came into this season with as high a threat level as almost anybody. Uh, He really hasn't been targeted very much at all. We kind of see on this next episode, he'll probably get targeted, but there is kind of one crack in that likability that we got this episode, which is both Jeremy and Sarah saying in confessionals that they feel like when they talk to Tony, he doesn't really listen and he can be a little bit, he can dominate a conversation a little bit and he can just want to go with his plan. Now in this episode, he does say, Oh, I'd prefer to get Tyson out, which is perplexing to me because it seems to go against his lions and hyenas strategy, but he does say, Hey, I want Tyson out and he gets his way. He gets Tyson out. So it's worked for him, but you wonder it's like Tyson wasn't really plan a going into this tribal. It seems like Jeremy was plan a he'd previously been working with Jeremy. So he's kind of, lost an ally there and if there's ever an opportunity where the tribe just needs kind of an easy vote which is what it felt like happened with this tyson vote it should be tony is the easy vote it should be tony and i he's not exactly going to go on an immunity run to the end of the game i think you know he wins immunity this episode but historically we've seen enough to know tony is not the biggest immunity challenge threat out there 
I'll, I'll say this last thing is like, I, I think Tony's biggest threat and something that he should not overlook is Sarah flipping on him, him putting too much trust in Sarah, someone who historically has not been the most trustworthy person. And they've seemed like a locked pair, you know, really strong. And then, like you said, this was the episode where Sarah, I think kind of felt old Tony coming back and kind of being like, Oh, I don't know if I want to play with this guy. And it was like a real small hint, but I could feel, I could see that bubbling up and that potentially being the downfall for Tony where he's not seeing Sarah as a threat and not seeing her as a player in this game rather than just a friend and someone I can get along with and have this trust with. And that could eventually be the reason that he gets voted out, but we'll see. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be idol hunting next week. (laughs) are it'll be really interesting if they ever turn on each other because they actually share a lot of similarities i love their alliance a lot they really both have just such a great read and feel for the game you know i hated sarah's move last episode to give up her reward i think that she put a target on herself a little bit but man i I love watching the two of them work together um but it i mean absolutely if you're sarah you guys start eventually thinking okay at what point do i get rid of Tony because everybody on that island has to be thinking, okay, there's no way I want to sit next to Tony at the end. If you, if you even let Tony get to the end, that alone is why he should win because his threat level should have been so high. Yeah. The fact that he, if he gets to the end, like the fact that he got to the end is enough of a reason for him to win. And everyone on the jury knows that everyone's smart enough to realize Tony is this big threat. And like you said, if he makes it to the final, he's, he's probably a shoe in to win. Let's race through our superlatives here. So we'll just do this kind of quickly, but who is your best move of the game, Sean? Um, I really thought in the moment, Jeremy's move was the best. Um, Obviously we talked early on in this episode about it potentially backfiring on him. The fact that he abandoned ship and kind of left his alliance out to dry. But in that moment, he read the room perfectly. This is the last time he was able to use that advantage and he used it and he was safe and look he lost a number in Tyson but i think regardless if they if that group won that vote i think they still would have been on the outs in some way and i just i really respected that move and i really he's been he's been isolated this whole season that's been jeremy's arc this whole season and it was such a fit, perfectly fitting idol for uh, advantage for him to get the let me just leave and protect myself because for Jeremy, that's the only person he's really working with is himself. And he, it worked. He did the right thing. He has to do some damage control in this next episode. But I think that as far as doing damage control, I think Jeremy can do it. You know, I think he's one of the players that probably can actually do that pretty well. You know, some people, they'll try and do damage control and it just comes across as really self serving and kind of fake. But. I don't know. I think Jeremy will be able to work his way back in and there won't be too many hard feelings that linger for too long. Yep. He, I mean, I hope people understand like he had to do what he had to do. He was on the block. Yeah. Unless he thought that Kim could play her idol for him, which really would have changed everything. Um, actually, that could have been like a huge moment otherwise. But if, if you don't feel like that's coming, then you got to use it. Yeah. So my best move, I think I'm going to go with Sophie not playing her idol. She was confident enough. Obviously, they had the plan with the larger alliance of people and with the vote steal. So they had the the basically the super majority of votes. They obviously they don't do the vote split correctly, but 
I don't know, man. If I have an idol in my pocket at Tribal and somebody else plays one, I would probably immediately play mine. I would just be so scared. And I don't know, man. Sophie has that idol. She kind of got her way at this Tribal. She kind of engineers the vote off. I just love the game that Sophie has been playing so far. I agree. I, I really enjoy Sophie's game. And I, my thing is, anytime you can save an idol, anytime you can go back to the island after Tribal and still have your idol in your hand, still have another day to use it is, is, is a huge win. And the fact that I don't think anyone really knows that Sophie has an idol yet, other than maybe Sarah, I don't even know if she knows, but like Sarah knows. Yeah. yeah Sarah, Sarah Sarah's knows. who she shared it with. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. And like having that secrecy and having that up our sleeve and still having it for the next week or the next day is, is really strong. And yeah. So Sophie's just playing a really smooth game, like really efficient and she's playing a very tactile game. She knows exactly what she's doing. She knows exactly who she is and where she is in, in each moment of the game. And I, I've really respected the way she's played. She's been flying under the radar. Obviously, though, she gets votes in this tribal council. So her under the radar streak is sort of coming to an end. She's uh-huh. kind of at least a blip on the radar now as she's showing up. Um, so we'll see how it is going forward, but I think she has like a lot of options in front of her and especially with the bond that she has with Sarah, Sarah has one with Tony. It's like, there's the makings of something special there. Yeah. Curious to see where that, where that group goes towards the next episode, especially as it gets a little crazier, especially if Tony, if crazy Tony comes out. So on the flip side, let's do worst moves. I guess I can start on this one. My worst move of the episode is we already kind of talked about it, but the majority of alliance getting that vote split wrong. To me, that is a disastrous and like almost elementary mistake. I just don't understand why you only put two votes on Denise and you put five votes on Tyson. And it's like if Michelle hadn't flipped, then it would have been four votes on Tyson. I don't know how confident they were in Michelle flipping. Again, some of this is there's some gray area for us because of the edit where we just don't know what's really happening. But I don't know. Do the 3-3 three, three split. That is the most straightforward way. Then you are locked in. There will be a tie no matter how the other votes fall. And you can just immediately vote out whichever one is not part of that tie. I mean, really, if you do the 3-3 three, three split, the only thing you're vulnerable to is two idols getting correctly played. The chances of that are very, very low. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I thought they avoided disaster there. It was a really weird vote. Yeah, I'm curious how the conversation is going to be when they all come back from tribal and who's going to be blamed and who's going to be questioned for their vote. Because, yeah, the, that, the way that vote played out, I was just confused. And I was like, who messed up or where was the lack of communication? And maybe it's part of the live tribal. Um, on that, my my worst move is is Kim. And and. Kim using her idol and giving it to someone else. I, we, I briefly, we briefly mentioned it early on in this episode, but like, I just never, ever feel good about giving your idol up to someone else. Even if you know exactly who they're playing it for, because you just immediately draw the line of this is a person I want to play with. And this is a person I'm loyal to. Here's my idol. You're giving yourself up. You're, you're, you're wasting an idol essentially, which she did. And it'll probably come to backfire on her because I think Tony sees her as, as a threat. Um, I think a lot of people see her as a threat and in the same way, Tony, like she's one of those players. If she makes it to the final three, like she might be a shoe in cause she's very nice and has great relationships with everyone. And the fact that she made it this far 
is huge. And so to give up an idol to Denise of all people, I just, I just don't know if that was the best move for Kim. And I, I, I wonder how much that is going to backfire on her. I think if you, if you play an idol on somebody else, I think it can actually work well because you can kind of, you know, you immediately strengthen that bond with that other person. Potentially you kind of show the jury that you're really playing this game, not just for yourself, but for an alliance and that you have like kind of second order thinking going where you're like a few steps ahead. You know, if you play it correctly, it becomes just a huge move. You're getting flashbacks of like Parvati playing two idols and heroes versus villains and stuff like that, where she, you know, she used two idols. Neither of them were on herself. And, uh, you know, you further your alliance and I don't know, it can be a powerful way to play the game, but it is extremely risky. And in this instance where they have the other alliance has the majority of votes. If you're Kim, you play that idol on yourself or you don't play it at all. One way or the other, it's you either protect yourself or you trust your reader of the game that you are not going home. She just by playing it on somebody else because the other tribe had so many votes it's still going to be someone from her side going home. That's happening no matter what. She doesn't have enough idols to prevent that. So unless there was some reason that she really, really, really wanted Denise in this game, I don't really understand the move. Let's do our front runners to win. Sean, do you have anybody in particular that you think has pulled away from the pack at this point? Um, I, don't, I really don't think anyone's fully pulled away. I don't think anyone's a clear-cut favorite. I think the three people who are playing the best game and have built the best resume so far are Tony, Sarah, and Sophie, maybe. Um, but yeah, out of, out of this remaining group, like no one sticks out. I don't think anyone really stands above the fold. And it's a lot of people who like, like Tony said, it's the, a lot of group of the hyenas that are just going to sneak their way on and kind of coast under the radar. And people like, Michelle, Nick, and Ben are, and even Denise are, are, are people who have a decent resume. I mean, Denise probably has the best resume for that one move, but other than that, she's been playing her old game of just kind of being quiet and being a part of whatever vote happens. But I think the people right now who have the best resume, Sophie, Sarah, and Tony, out of those three, I don't know if I can pick a front runner, but I think just because he was the archetype and, and because we both love him so much, I, I think I might have to lean Tony just slightly. If I had to, if I were like betting right now, I would bet on Tony, which is kind of where I landed starting in the last episode is that he feels like he's getting this arc toward winning the season. Granted, it's also, I don't know, man, it's Tony. I just love him so much. Maybe <laughs> I'm just going with my heart a little bit. Um, I will say Sarah showed me a lot in this episode. You know, I was really down on her last episode and she's playing the game. She kind of has better connections than I realized that I maybe discounted a little bit on the last episode. I don't know. I, I kind of like Sarah's position in the game a lot. Um, so I will say I think that she's mo I'm more thinking about what it would look like if she's on Final Tribal Council, how she could win than I was in previous episodes due to the moves that she made this episode and the connections she's shown, you know, like her connection with Sophie, her connection with Tony, like. I don't know. She's kind of in a, in a solid position. She seems like she's building real bonds and she's a very cerebral player and she's shown that in game changers. And yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really impressed by the way she's playing. I will say just as like another foil, like on this list of remaining people, I don't see anyone who is like a week to week immunity challenge threat. I don't see any of this group being like the clear cut, like, Oh, I do. I, th I think that uh, underrated 
Kim is a, a challenge beast. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's like a few people who like are great at those. Kim's so, so good at those endurance immunities, but like no one, I don't, I don't know if she can potentially go on the run where it's like on her ass is on the chopping There's not, there's not an Aussie on this cast. Right. Exactly. And it's like, there's no one who's going to win, 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 and just get to the final three based on that. So I think it makes for a really wide open game for the rest of the season. You know who's also kind of really good at challenges is Sophie. She's won a few kind of for her tribe. She's really good at the puzzles. Yeah. She's good at kind of the endurance stuff too. I think a lot of times it's like the female players that can actually be pretty good at challenges that get underrated a little bit. And people will, will tend to look at these like bigger male players as being the challenge people. Right. Denise, but it's like, Denise won one this season. Denise won one. There's no, there are no challenges that are like, hey man, like, uh, how many bench press reps? Can you do? That's not a challenge. It's always it, it's always the big guys. It's like oh, they're a challenge threat. And it's like, well, it doesn't always work out that way. It's like who can do endurance stuff? Who can finish puzzles? Yep. Um, it often works out differently. And I think that there, it, strangely, there are like underrated challenge people. You know, it's like we don't have Rob in the game anymore. Rob has a a stellar challenge record. Um, but we do we do have people who are actually pretty good and maybe are in that zone where it's like they're good at challenges, but they're not so good that they're immediately going to get voted out because you know that they lost one and you might not never get another chance. Nobody, yeah. I don't think anyone is going to win the next five challenges in a row or something yeah. like that. And, and no but there's somebody who could do two, two of five or, right. you know, win three of them or something. And like, even if one of those people wins, like I still don't think there'll be a threat where it's like, well, this person's crushing all these immunity challenges. We've got to bring them home. Like no one's going to be a threat because of the way they, play in immunity challenges which opens up the game for just more chaos which we've seen and i i assume as the numbers dwindle down what are we on day 25 like it's going to just get even crazier it is going to get even crazier i think that is a really good note to end it on sean thank you so much for being on the show thanks for having me as always that's all the time we have and thank you for listening to the pod is spoken i'm riley mcty that's sean you steve allman is our producer i'll be back here on the ringer dish feed next thursday we'll see you guys then 